all the children to leave. I don't know what that means necessarily, but that's what I was told, and I do what I'm told by Chris Dempsey. It is so good to be here this morning. Most of you probably have no clue who I am, which is fine. Um, In some ways this morning, I feel like I'm returning home, which is weird because I've only worshipped with Family Bible once before, but uh, I know a lot about you. I know an awful lot about you. My mom and dad are Steve and Linda Hampsch. They've been uh, attending here for a while. They've been involved, and it's so much fun to hear about what God's doing here. Um, and, and many of you, the, the sanctuary is kind of a, a cool place, uh, maybe the only place in history that will be like it, um, because my dad got the opportunity to preach here once. And my older brother, Chad, got the opportunity to preach here once. And, and this morning, I have the opportunity to share some scriptures with you. And, and I don't think maybe in the rest of history there will ever be a church that, that we have that opportunity for all three of us to be here. And so it's, it's cool to be here. Add on top of that family network where Dan and Andrea Burns, some of you know them. That's my brother and sister. And, you know, just really cool connections with the family. And then there's this guy named Bill, Bill Dempsey. Um, Pastor Bill and I have a very uh, rich history. Um, He has taught me so many things about how to do ministry, um, so many things about what it means to seek after Christ. And uh, when I had the opportunity to come here, and on this Sunday, many of you might not even know, this Sunday is what we're calling an installation service. It's a chance for us to celebrate uh, Pastor Bill and his leadership of the church, but we're also going to celebrate uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Dan and, and the pastoral team that are here uh, serving you and, and kind of planning the direction of where the church is headed. And so it's so good to be here. I have an opportunity on Tuesdays. I love Tuesdays at our house. Um, we live in southern Indiana, and Tuesday is a special night for us because I'm home. I'm not home a lot of the evenings, and, and Tuesday night, I get one of my favorite jobs in the whole house. I get to do dishes. Um, we don't have a dishwasher outside of me and my wife, and so um, Tuesday night at about 7 o'clock, Holly, my wife, hauls our kids and puts them in the bathtub, and uh, I pull out my laptop, and I set it up on the counter next to the sink, and I go to familybc.org, and I download that last Sunday's sermon, if it's uploaded by then, and, uh, and I listen while I do dishes to, to Pastor Bill's speaking, and I, just, I feel so connected to you, even though I'm not here, and, and I love you. Um, sometimes mom and dad will call and say, hey, Duke, will you just pray for this person when some of you are going through a hard time or, or something's going on in your family? And I know that knowing my mom and dad well enough, I know that they've probably done the same with their small groups and with some of you that meet with them and shared with you uh, our concerns. And so it is so good to be here this morning. You've been journeying over the past several weeks. We've been journeying together through this series called Walking with Jesus. And you've, you've seen Jesus show up in some really weird ways. And this, the beauty of this sermon series has been that Jesus was a real guy. Sometimes we get this idea, if you've ever seen like the Greek icons, you see Jesus with this huge glow around his head and he's standing above, elevated over everybody. And, and yet Jesus was this real guy. Um, now that all the kids are gone, I can tell you what we say in my, my youth ministry about Jesus. Jesus pooped. And we don't say that in any way to be disrespectful to Jesus, but it's a nice reminder to know that Jesus was just like us 
in some ways. He was a person. You could touch him. You could feel him. As a matter of fact, last week we celebrated Easter and Right after the Easter service, the, the ceremony, Jesus showed up into this room, this locked room of disciples, and, and he told Thomas, hey, come touch me. Feel my hands. Feel my side. Jesus is a real person. And yet, as we read the scriptures, we get this, this weird image of Jesus because he'll be wandering along just like a normal person would, and then something happens, and he does something or he says something, and, and everyone around him kind of like, what What did he just say? What do you mean? We were dealing with that in, in our small group study this morning. If you're not in a small group, get in a small group. And uh, go to my mom and dad's class because they're good teachers. Um, <laughs> but uh, we were in that class and we were dealing with this passage in Matthew. And Jesus just says some radical stuff. And there's a verse in Mark that I want us to dive into today. I hope you have a Bible with you. And if you don't, I think I've gotten, heard the lecture every week for the last several weeks. Uh, there are Bibles at the end of the rows. Grab one. You're going to need it. Um, we're going to be all over uh, this morning, and uh, I'm excited about it. We've been walking with Jesus. We've seen Jesus heal people. We've seen uh, Jesus call these fishermen, these losers of society in their day, uh, to be disciples. And, and as you've probably discovered, we have seen Jesus do some weird stuff. And there's a verse in Mark. Uh, where Jesus does some weird stuff. And I first heard Rob Bell, uh, one of my favorite theologians, talk about this verse, and he brought to life a passage. Sometimes we hear scriptures so much in our lives that we lose the meaning, or we need to hear a new meaning, and, and this passage is that way. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. And Bill has probably said this, but I love that sound. How good is that? Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 21. I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. Might be a hair different from yours, but uh, I think you'll get the point. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he walked by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. The large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she had been healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? I feel kind of like the disciples in this next verse. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can we say, how can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. God had God's blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning. 
Let's pray together. God, we are so humbled by the reality that you have allowed us to come to your scriptures. So many times we come and and we have the opportunity to, to be transformed. We have the opportunity to see you work. It's even a little scary at times. But this morning, God, we, we come boldly before you, asking that you would teach us through this story, that you would reveal yourselves, yourself to us and, and allow us to share in the story of what happened to this woman. Please give us discernment and and allow us to hear your words, not mine. And help us as we walk out of the doors of Highland Middle School this morning, God. Help us to be different. Help us to be transformed because you've showed up and you've changed us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. The church says together. Amen, amen. I love this story. Here's Jesus. He's headed on the way to a synagogue leader's house because his daughter was sick. I can even picture it. I have a two-year-old daughter, almost three, and, and when she gets a fever, I have to do something. I don't know what, but I have to do something. And so this leader came and, and grabbed Jesus and said, hey, will you come? And so Jesus and this massive crowd are headed off to his house. And then there's this weird verse. A woman touched him, and the power left him. The power left him. I often, when I've heard this story, I think about Agape Music Festival. That's a familiar term to you guys, probably. Agape is right up the road at Greenville College. They host this massive music festival, and I had the opportunity to work with Agape a couple years, and I loved, I loved being on security. Who was that? <laughs> Get out now. <laughs> I, was, I was part of security one year, and it's fun because obviously you get all of these kids, and you get good music, and so what do they do? What comes absolutely natural? Body surfing, right? And the insurance of Agape Music Festival doesn't cover body surfing for some reason. And so as security, we had the job of pressing through this crowd of 5,000 teenagers jumping up and down in mass chaos and grabbing these kids who are body surfing and setting them on the ground and saying, don't do that. And I remember just pushing my way through the crowd, throwing the elbows, following the football team, whatever I could do to get to where we needed to go. And, And that's kind of where I picture this woman But for us to fully understand, we have to take a journey. Let me invite you. You're going to have to turn in your Bible a bunch today because I think the Bible is kind of cool. And uh, and so let me invite you to turn way back to Leviticus. We're going to spend a bunch of time in the Torah. If you were a Jew, the Torah is your holy book. We would call it the Pentateuch, which means five. uh, or the, The first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we're going to spend a bunch of time there. But let me invite you to Leviticus chapter 15. And for those of you that have younger 
children in here, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, you'll have to explain this at home, and I'm sorry. But this is the Bible, and we're going to deal with it. Leviticus chapter 15. There's this passage starting in verse 25. And I share it only so that we get a good glimpse of what was going on in this woman's life. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity. She shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies during all the days of her discharge shall be treated as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her impurity. Whoever touches these things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. This woman wasn't just bleeding. She was a cultural outcast. Last night I stayed at my parents' house and my wife's at home and I had to crawl in this bed and I I thought to myself, man, I miss my wife. We don't snuggle, we're not cuddlers. She's hot-blooded, I'm cold-natured. Um... Vice versa, I'm hot-blooded, she's cold-natured, she's just hot. Um, (laughs) But we don't snuggle, but there was that presence that I was missing. This woman, because of her bleeding, according to Hebraic law, hadn't been touched in 12 years. No one could sit down after her for 12 years. For 12 years, no one has even laid in her bed. Before her, after her. She was absolutely alone. The passage tells us that she'd gone to all these doctors and her disease had just gotten worse. She was frustrated. She was hurting. Couldn't you see this kind of woman walking around town? What's wrong with her? No one talks to her. No one touches her. She's all alone. You might see people around your town like that, that are all alone, that are hurting. If not, go to your high school. Go to Walmart and look. It's a big deal to be bleeding. And she was all alone. And so the way I used to picture this passage is just like agape. She's pushing her way through the crowd. She's throwing those elbows and she's getting in there. And and she sees Jesus finally at the center of the crowd and and she's so worn out and she's so exhausted from trying that she reaches and she lunges with every ounce of energy that she has left. And all that she can grab is the corner of his garment. That's all she's got left. However, there might be even more meaning to this passage if we remember one thing about Jesus. Jesus was a Torah-observant Jew. That's a really radical thought sometimes, that Jesus was a Jew. He was a good Jew. He was a rabbi. And if Jesus was a Jew, then we can assume some things about Jesus. We can assume that Jesus followed the commandments of the Jewish faith, which means twice a day, he would disappear into his prayer closet We talk about that later on in the Gospels. But he would disappear into his prayer closet and he would say the Shema. The Shema is a prayer that a good Jew would say twice a day. And I love how God has brought this whole Sunday together. Because Pastor Bill already 
shared with you one of the verses of the Shema. There are three verses that they recite when they go to prayer. One of them that beautifully comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9, which talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and soul and strength and teaching these commandments to your children and, and writing them on your hearts and your, and your hands and on the doorpost of your house. Oftentimes, if you see a good Jew, uh, an Orthodox Jew, they'll have little phylacteries on their hands and on their foreheads. Have you seen that? Little boxes. And then in these little bitty boxes, they have the scriptures of this prayer written, literally writing them on their hands and on their foreheads. And so that was one of the verses. And the next verse uh, is from Deuteronomy. Go ahead and turn there just for the sake of fun. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13, is where we get what we call the Deuteronomic principle. I dropped that name uh, in Sunday school this morning, and my Sunday school class looked at me like I was a freak, which might very well apply. But this, this Deuteronomic principle uh, is this idea that if we're faithful, God will bless us. And if we are unfaithful, we will not be blessed. And this is where they, where they get that whole idea. It says, if you will only heed his every commandment that I am commanding you today, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and with all your soul, then he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain. Apparently, some of you have been very faithful. You'll catch that later if you didn't catch that now. It goes on to say, uh, that he'll give us grass for our fields and our livestock, and we will eat our fill. That's the whole idea of this passage, the second passage of the Shema. But I want us to disappear to one more uh, passage in Numbers. Let me invite you to turn there. Numbers chapter 15. Numbers is still in that, that Torah right before Deuteronomy. Numbers chapter 15. This is where this gets good. Numbers chapter 15, if you're there, verse 37, it begins. A command to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them to make fringes on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on the fringe at each corner. You have the fringe so that when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them and not follow the lust of your own heart and your own eyes. So you shall remember to do all my commandments, and you shall be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. You see, if Jesus was really, in fact, a Torah-observant Jew, not only would he be saying his Shema, but he would be wearing his prayer shawl. There's an incredible, rich history of the prayer shawl. You can buy them online now, too, by the way. Jesus was wearing his prayer shawl. And twice a day, he would disappear into his prayer closet. And he would say the Shema. He would pray. And what's so cool about the Hebrew faith is everything has meaning. Everything is meaningful. Even the words themselves have these numeric meanings. And the numbers are connected to words, and the words are connected to numbers, and and it all ties up to have meaning. You see, this part of the prayer shawl is called the kanaf. 
I noticed that there was a notes page, K-A-N-A-F, if you want to take notes on all these ancient words that you're never going to need again. This is the kanaf. It means corner or wing. You see, at the end of a worship service, the, the priest would stand up and bless the people. He would pray a blessing over them. With his arms stretched, his wings were out. And so we have this kanaf, and then off of this kanaf, we get these tassels. These are called zitzit, or t-zit-zit. All right, zitzit. And, and what's so cool is there's so much meaning wrapped up in the zitzit. This is four chords, four strings doubled over. They're doubled over here at the top, and so it comes down to eight in the middle. And then there's a real intricate part of how they wrap these. And you can actually find instructions for it online, and it's, it's really a, an intricate process. And what they do is they make five knots in the zitzit. These five knots represent to the Jew the holy books of Moses, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then when you have five knots, of course, you're left with four spaces in between them. And these four spaces represent the tetragrammaton. That's a really cool word that you can knock around in the office this week. Uh, when they're talking about the Cardinals and the successful season that we're about to have, you can talk about the time that you spent studying the Tetragrammaton, which really is just a fancy way to say four Tetragrammaton letters. The four letters of the holy name of God. God was calling Moses to, to go to Pharaoh and get the people out of Egypt. And, and of course, Moses, like many of us, was coming up with great excuses. And he says, who sent me? Pharaoh's going to ask, who sent me? And God gave this name. Yahweh is how we interpret it. The, the Hebrew letters are actually yo Heh vah Heh. Now ponder this. Would this not be a tad bit disappointing for Moses? If he says, all right, God, who sent me? They're going to get mad at me for this. And Moses heard this. Wouldn't that be a letdown? Your wind? Huh? What is that about? But the sound of Yohe Vahe in the Hebrew is the sound of nothing but breathing. Yo. Yo. This morning we celebrate Caleb's life. Where's Caleb? He's still in here. When did Caleb be pronounced alive? Was it when he came out of his mom's womb? Or was it when he first called on the name of God by breathing? When people die, is it when their heart stops beating? One of you works in the ER. Don't answer this. Or could it be more than that? Could people die when they, physically, when they can no longer call on the name of God by breathing? You see what this does? My dad and I were having a great conversation over breakfast because I love debating at 7 o'clock in the morning. Thanks for that. Um, but we were talking about prayer. And in so many ways, prayer becomes everything that we are if we're doing it intentionally. Breathing can become prayer. I encourage you 
to go home today, to sit in your chair, turn off the TV, please, and breathe, and become conscious of your breathing, to be intentional about your breathing, to hear your breathing, the name of God. So when you add up the zitzit, the word zitzit uh, in the Hebrew actually equals out to the numeric value of 600, which means not much yet. But then we add into it the eight tassels here of the zitzit. And so who's a math genius? I know you are. What's 600 plus eight? 608, excellent. Bright kids here in Highland. And then you have the five knots of the Torah. And so you have 608 plus five, which equals... 613, right? In the Torah, how many commandments are written for the people to follow? 613. And so what happens is they would twine these zitzit in and out of their, their fingers when it was time to pray. And, and what they were doing is they were claiming the name of God. They were claiming the scriptures. They were claiming all of who God is. That was their prayer. And so every time they prayed, they had to consciously think about God's personality, God's name, God's commandments for them to live by. You can read about the, the zitzit all throughout scriptures. Do you remember in Matthew? What happened in Matthew? Jesus criticized the people for having long tassels that they were tripping over. These, these Pharisees wanted to be so faithful and so focused on God, of course, that they would make these tassels forever long. And so they'd be wearing their prayer shawls, walking around town, and they'd trip on them because they were so long. Jesus said, don't do that. You're missing the point. Where else do we see it? Let me invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. Actually, if you don't want to go there, go to 1 Samuel 24. I'll do one for you so you don't have to flip too much. 1 Samuel 13, there's a story of Samuel and Saul. Saul is the king, and he's headed into battle. And before they go into battle, he has to have a, a sacrifice. He has to make this offering so that, so that God will bless them and, and help them have victory. And so he, he calls Samuel on his cell phone and says, Samuel, will you come do this offering because you're the priest and you have to. And Samuel says, I'm seven days out, but I'll be there. You just wait. Wait seven days. And Saul is impatient and the armies are starting to come all around him and he's kind of freaking out about it. And so he says, okay, day seven is here. Samuel's not here. What do I do? We're gonna do it. Bring the bull, let's do it. We're gonna do the offering right here. And so they get done with everything and he thinks he's okay and then over the hill walks Samuel. And I picture Samuel with a big fat white beard. It's probably not at all historically accurate, but that's what I picture it. Just like my dad walks over the hill right after my brother broke the window because <laughs> it was always my brother. And Samuel looks at Saul and he says, what have you done? And Samuel gives him the word of the Lord and he says, listen, you're not going to be king. And he turns around and he takes off and, and the scripture says there that Saul reached out and he grabbed the corner of his garment and rip. That doesn't mean a whole lot unless there was something important on the corner of his garment. And Samuel whips around and it's the only way the priest could, he said, just as you have ripped my garment, the kingdom is going to be ripped from you. And you will lose in battle. And your surrounding communities will overtake you. Where else do we see it? 
a great and hilarious verse in 1 Samuel 24. I invite you, I think I already told you to go there, so be there. 1 Samuel 24. We'll start reading in verse 1. It says, When Samuel returned from following the Philistines, he was told, David is in the wilderness. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds besides the road, beside the road where there was a cave. And this is the literal translation would say, And Saul went in to cover his feet. Saul went in to cover his feet. Now, picture a, a culture where you're wearing a robe. What are you doing when you're covering your feet? He went in to relieve himself. He went potty. And the story continues. What do we find out about that? David went in after him, and he had another opportunity to kill Saul. And instead, it says, he simply cut the corner of his garment. And later on, he presented that to Saul, and he said, I, I'm so guilty that I did this to you but I, I spared your life. And David and Saul go back and forth over and over, over again. David say, listen, I'm not trying to kill you. You are God's anointed. I'll take my turn when it's my turn. And Saul kept chasing after him because Saul doesn't learn well, not like us. So where does this take us? It takes us back to Mark. It takes us back to this woman, this bleeding woman who was all alone, who was stuck. And it takes us to the prayer shawl of Jesus. In Malachi 4.2, my son's name is Malachi. He showed up in the sermon last week, which was kind of cool. I got to hear that. Malachi 4.2, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Does that preach yet? This woman knew that the Savior would have healing in his kanaf, in his wings, I don't believe that she was so worn out fighting this crowd that she could barely get to Jesus and she lunged and just happened to grab the corner of his garment. That's not at all what I believe. I believe when she grabbed the corner of his garment, she was making a statement. Jesus, you're more than this guy. You're more than a rebel rouser of the Jews. You're more than trying to start some political thing. You're more than that, Jesus. You're a healer. And I believe there's healing in your wings. And, and I know the scriptures because I'm a woman, yes, but I know the scriptures because I've been taught from an early age what the Torah says. And I know the prophet Malachi said there's healing in your wings, which means the kanaf, Jesus. And, and so when I come up to you, I don't need to touch your head. I don't even need to see your hands after you've risen. I just need to grab the corner of your garment. And Jesus realized what was going on. Jesus realized this wasn't a woman who was just hurting. This was a woman who was making a claim. I can just imagine Jesus in all of his, his divine wisdom realizing what has happened and, and inside of him saying, yes, she gets it. The light bulb in her life has come on. She understands who I am. What do you believe? Do you believe Jesus can still heal today? In a lot of ways, today is a new beginning for each of us individually and for Family Bible Church. Last week was Easter, and I don't know if, if you realize it, but that's a big deal. That's a huge deal. We do not serve a dead prophet. We serve a risen Savior. 
I don't know if that makes you want to dance. I don't know what Family Bible Church thinks of dancing. I don't really care because it's throughout the scripture. And by golly, when I hear that Jesus is risen from the grave, how can you not dance? How can you not get so pumped up that you run out of here and you go tell somebody at Walmart? It's a new beginning. And it's a new beginning for your church. You have a complete pastoral team with Dan and with Matt and with Pastor Bill, all three working together. And even just getting to hear rumors of them. I was at Greenville College last night hanging out with some of my former students and they're talking to me about Pastor Dan and his skills in youth ministry. You don't have no idea how much that warms my heart to see what's gonna happen. A, I have a, a nephew now in the youth ministry, which scares me. But how cool. You have a team ready to go. But you see, Jesus didn't offer just healing to this woman. At the end of that passage, he says something to her that is so powerful. He called her daughter. He called her daughter. We have some people in our church who who have two children. One of them was by natural birth. They told her she could never have children. Don't ever believe doctors when they tell you that. Don't even believe birth control for that matter. It doesn't work. I'm proof of that. Um, (laughs) They have two children. One of them born naturally, and, and then they adopted another one because they thought they were done having kids, and then even though she can't have kids, she's having twins. Um, But nonetheless, this daughter in the mean-spirited innocence of children used to tell the adopted one, I'm their real child. And the mom and dad have an incredible line of how they respond to that. You're right. They're stuck with you. They chose me. Jesus called this woman daughter. He chose her. He wasn't stuck. He chose her and then he sent her out with this incredible word, shalom. He tells her, go in peace. I remember in grade school, we used to walk around, like I guess there were some politicians or something. I didn't follow it at that time. We used to always say, you know, peace in the Middle East. Whatever. We have no concept of peace anymore. We think peace is the absence of war. For there to be peace in Iraq, doesn't that just mean there's no more war? But it's so much more than that. Jesus wasn't telling this lady, go and don't be mad at anybody. Jesus said to her, shalom, which is this incredibly rich term that says, I want you to be in right standing with everything. I want you and me as God to be completely right. And I want you to be right with the people around you. I want you to be right with creation itself. That's what shalom means. That's what what Jesus was telling her. I've healed you physically, but I can heal you so much more than that. I can make it so that all is right. That's what living a life of being healed is about. Do you need to be healed this morning? I know some of you need physical healing in your lives. And I I still believe that God can do that. I've seen it. Some of you 
have relationships that need to be healed. Broken families, mothers and daughters and sons and fathers. And there needs to be healing in those relationships. Some of you need healing from addictions. Maybe you're addicted to television. Turn it off and join the Team 619. Some of you are addicted to pornography. Statistically, 72% of you are addicted to pornography, men. Some of you are addicted to work. Some of you are addicted to money. Some of us are addicted to food. Do you need to be healed today? Do you need to be healed from pain? Maybe you're here because your last church burned you or you felt uncared for. Maybe you need to be healed from anger. Maybe you're frustrated with your last pastor or with a parent or a friend. Let God heal you from that anger. My prayer is that today you will claim Christ's healing in your life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward this morning and to lead us in a a final song. And and I'm going to set this prayer shawl up on the stand. There's nothing magical about this prayer shawl. Matter of fact, there's not even blue dye on it. You heard that, that biblical mandate to have blue dye on the fringes? That's because they couldn't find the blue dye until the 1960s when some guy in Israel found out that there was a clam washed up on the shore every 70 years. Go figure, 70 shows up in the Bible. Every 70 years, and when that dye, that clam comes into direct sunlight, this blue dye is formed, which matches the description of the blue dye in the scriptures. This is just a prayer shawl. It's just a piece of fabric. But it can be very representative of us claiming Christ's healing in our lives. And if you need to be healed, I encourage you during this last song, just come forward and to grab the prayer shawl, to claim that healing and say, Christ, I need shalom in my life. I'm alone, I'm hurt, I'm suffering, and I need you to come heal me. I don't know how you normally end your services. Bath time is over before I get to the end of the sermon. And so this might be very uncomfortable for some of you. But I encourage you, just come and to grab it. And and if you need to seek shalom with someone in this room, I encourage you not to sing a praise song, but to go to them and get right. Let's let today be a new beginning, a day of healing for you, an opportunity for us to be in shalom with our God.